Welcome back to Beyond the Show, the podcast home of all things Cannabis Conference. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of the Cannabis Group at GIE Media. It's been a few weeks since we last met, and I'm here at Beyond the Show World Headquarters after a wonderful spell of paternity leave with our now one-month-old daughter. She and mom are doing great, by the way, and we're sleeping fairly well, thanks in no small part to Mercine Dominant Flower. And that's what we're here to talk about on this show. Not just flower, of course, but the whole industry and the great spectrum of expert perspectives and market trends that we'll be digging into at Cannabis Conference August 23rd to the 25th out in Las Vegas. As always, check CannabisConference.com for the latest info. While I was out, the team was very hard at work, as the list of dynamite speakers will attest. We have one of those speakers with us today. Tucky Blunt, the CEO and owner of Blunts and More in Oakland, California, is here to talk about what it took to launch his dispensary back in 2018 and what it's taking now just to get by. Things change fast in cannabis, haven't you heard? And the retail game is tough. But Tucky is a true testament to walking your path. He's a fifth-generation Oakland native, and he opened the first cannabis retail shop under Oakland's Cannabis Social Equity Program. Associate Editor Tony Lang wrote a great feature about Tucky's past, which you should totally check out before or after continuing on with this episode. We reference it in the interview, so you're going to want to read it. It's called Destined to Sell Cannabis over at CannabisBusinessTimes.com, and we will be dropping that link into the episode notes, at least on the CannabisBusinessTimes.com version of the audio. At Cannabis Conference 2022, Tucky will be speaking on the all-access panel, How to Launch a Medical or Adult Use Dispensary. And that's what we talked about. So please enjoy my conversation with Tucky Blunt. All right, Tucky, welcome to the show. And thanks so much for joining us this week. It's very good to get a chance to talk with you ahead of Cannabis Conference, which is really just a few weeks away. Yes. Um, Yeah, of course, uh, at the show, uh, you will be on a panel talking about launching a medical or adult use dispensary, talking about those early days of getting the business off the ground. So we'll be talking about that momentarily. Um, But I was hoping to begin by just uh, asking if you could describe your dispensary, Blunts and More, for the audience. Uh, Even, you know, these days, what's the dispensary like and uh, what should the audience know about it? Gotcha. First off, thank y'all for having me. Appreciate the invite. Glad to be here and all that good stuff. Uh, Blunts and More. So Blunts and More established in 2018 is literally and figuratively my version of my legal trap. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful establishment. A um, couple of patios outside. Smoke lounge will be added. Actually, today is my hearing for my smoke lounge permit. So I have an outdoor consumption lounge coming soon. Um, when you walk in, it's the happy store. So you walk in, no matter how you feel, you should leave feeling happy. Um, orange is the theme color of our store, which also relates to happy. And you should just come in, you know, see a bunch of food trucks, see a bunch of DJs, uh, just a party vibe whenever you come in for all ages. You know, that's legal, of course. And it's just it's like it's my baby. You know what I mean? It's something I've done on the streets of Oakland for a long time. So to be able to sell legally in the streets of Oakland at an establishment is that's that's pretty much it. It's simple, but that's what it is. It's a community based community environment store um trying to bring back the um compassion vibe that was going on back in the prop 215 days and trying to not make it as much about money and more about compassion in the plant and that's what i'm trying to bring back if that makes sense it does yeah and there's a couple of things that i'll i'll dig into uh, but first uh the, the lounge permit hearing that sounds super exciting of course yes. uh, you know you and i are talking today it's july 11th 
Um, so a few days before the episode comes out. Um, as far as the the lounge idea, is this something that you've been thinking about for a long time? Was it part of your original plan when you opened the store a couple of years ago? So no, originally when we opened, we were just focused on so focused on trying to get open and see how to work in this California new market. Um, but originally the thought of consumption came in about me a year in and I was like, consumption lounges is what's going to be next. If we can be able to, you know, purchase our tree or whatever our products and be somewhere and consume it safely, just like a bar, we should be able to do that. And I felt like I knew that that would bring money to Oakland as well if we could get consumption lounges going on. And for the longest time, we just kept playing back and forth with having it in store. But having it in store, you got to deal with a lot of odor mitigation and just different kind of things that would be different being out store outside and i was like well i have a patio let's just do it outside and i hit the city that was like man we'd love for you to do it hurry up and apply for it so <laughs> i applied for it about uh end of may um it took them about 30 days it was end of april they took them about 30 days to set up the you know the hearing and whatnot and the hearing is today as long as there's no objections i'll have a consumption lounge outdoor i think which will be the first in oakland if i'm not mistaken I love it. Well, good luck there. First of all, um, the reason I ask is because I'm curious, you know, when people start thinking about launching a dispensary business, uh, it's tempting to want to get everything down on paper all at once and to think yep. all, you know, through everything. Yep. But of course, you know, plans change and things are variable. Um, could you maybe just rewind to, you know, 2018 or even earlier? What did the planning process look like? I know that's kind of a, a, a broad question, but, you know, it's, yeah. it's understandable. So for us, I literally, my previous partner that I had, I met them in September of 2017. We applied for the license and submitted, well, submitted our application in December of 2017, got the license in January of 2018, and then opened our store in November of 2018. I had a lot of knowledge for, you know, with Oakland and just being in the streets and just knowing the area. Um, we found a uh, lender that let us borrow some money and we got on. Um, that doesn't happen with everybody. Um, how that happened with us was like the things that happened with us so fast that it took maybe two, three years to happen. It took nine months. Um, but the planning process was just to get open and figure out how to navigate as a social equity applicant in a space with no money because we didn't have no money. There was no grants. There was nothing available. So we just kind of like went on a wing and a prayer and looked up and everything kind of fell into place. That's the best way for me to put it. Yeah, and I know uh, I'll point listeners to, uh, we, we did a feature on on you a little while ago with the headline, mm -hmm. Destined to Sell Cannabis. And yes. So uh, I'll put the link in, in the notes here with this episode because it's a great story uh, that covers a lot of those, those early years. Um, yes. Could you talk a bit about uh, the social equity program in Oakland? Of course, you're the first dispensary licensed under this program, uh, and more and more uh, prospective business owners are getting into the space through social equity policies all over the U.S. And, Correct. Uh, could you talk about how, you know, what that was like for you and, and how social equity is evolving? So social equity program for us, it was dope to be a part of. It was, it was great. It's like, okay, this is how I got the store. But at the time, again, there was no funding. So I have a billion dollar license with no money. So I have to go look at these billionaires that to them, I'm blood in the water and they're sharks. So it was rough at first sitting in front of different deals that were completely trash. Um, everybody wants ownership of your store, ownership of your license, et cetera, et cetera, just because they're letting you borrow money. Um, and I, I stood on it just because you borrow money doesn't mean that I should have to allow you to be part of my business. We're just, you're, you're a bank to me. You know what I mean? Um, so just having those conversations were difficult at first because, you know, in most of these cases, they're looking at you like, you know, nothing. You're, you're, you're something that you, you just have a license, but you're nobody. Um, 
And I do believe that a lot of these equity programs, though, great, you know, great idea, great, you know, what, what they represent. They just need, um, so what I want to use, oversight. Needs to be oversight committees, you know what I'm saying, to, to dial into what's really going on. And then now you have the thing called legacy that's coming out where people are, you know, kind of complaining like, well, just because I didn't catch a case doesn't mean I should have qualified for these licenses. And I agree with that. You know what I'm saying? Even though I have an equity license, I only got an equity license because I got caught selling weed. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I've been selling weed for a long time, but had I never got caught, I would have never got this equity license. So then it's like, okay, well, do you impede on people who've been trapping just as long as me? And now they can't get a license because they're not equity. They got to follow to the, the general practices with the other, you know, the, um, you know, the, what's the, the big farmers. They got to fall into the case with the big farmers. It's like, just because I didn't get caught doesn't mean I'm not equity. You know what I mean? So yeah. that conversation is it's come up in different rooms I've been in, but overall, the concept of social equity is amazing. Uh, the planning needs to be thought out a little more, need to have more of us involved in the planning, but the thought process is there. The planning is there. It just needs some oversight, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, certainly an ongoing work in progress around the country. Yes. Um, yes. You know, in your position a, a few years ago, how did you go through that process of, of picking the right partners and picking the right you know, financial, financial partners, like you said, you can get in bed with the wrong kind of people and it's not going to work out for you. What was your process for, for selecting helpful sources of capital? So crazy is my previous partner and keeps hearing me saying previous was a bad partnership, but mm. it worked out in the end because it was the way things were meant to be. Something I say all the time, something that's in the first part of my bio is I believe in the heavenly father. Um, the Heavenly Father placed my previous partners in my life in order for me to get this license and then to go about their business. Um, initially, how I picked them was literally I got a phone call from a good friend of mine named Mike Marshall. He is the voice of the song I Got Five on it. Like, if you ever hear I Got Five on it, and there's a guy singing, <laughs> that's Mike Marshall. He called me and was like, Hey, Chucky, you ever caught a weed case in Oakland? I'm like, Yeah, that's hella random, but yeah, I yeah, have. What's going on? He was like, Man, I know about these two sisters, they uh, know about a social equity program in Oakland. It needs somebody to fit the criteria. That's how I met my original partners. I went and had lunch with them at um, Red Robin in Concord, California. Me and my youngest daughter, we met. I met with my previous partner and then her mom. They told me what they knew on the business side of cannabis. I told them who I was on the street side of cannabis. It was a good mesh. We kicked it off. I initially believed we were working as a family. You know, so I looked at like I'm one of them kind of people that I'm going to accept you until you do me wrong. You know what I mean? So I took it. I took them at their word. I believe who they were or who they told me they were. We got to rocking and rolling. And uh, once we got the license, we ended up meeting Grizzly Peak Farms. Grizzly Peak Farms is my current partner now, one of the biggest cultivators in California. And they had a location and they had a grow a test location, but they didn't get a grow. They didn't get a store license. So they needed somebody to come in that store and take over that space. And initially, like all, oh, they wanted ownership. Oh, give us some ownership in the store. I'm like, nah, we'll figure out ways to give you money other than giving you ownership. So what we did with them was initially they gave us 750000 Now, mind you, Eric, we're talking about two black people that they don't know from Adam. They had to go to their investors and, you know, tell them our story, let them know what's going on. We was the first. We could open up the first. Had to do whatever they had to do to get that money from their investors. And then they allowed them to let us borrow $750,000. Some of it was for build out. Some of it was for uh, product, uh, startup capital, et cetera. Um, but the way we did ours, and I tell people this all the time, you have to be able to negotiate. So what we did was, instead of giving them any ownership, okay, how much you want for rent? Most rent in commercial spaces should be 75 cents to $1.25. 
But if people hear your cannabis, they want four to six dollars per square foot. So mm -hmm. we was like, all right, well, we'll give you the four dollars a square foot for your space. We'll hire you as our hiring firing manager and do all our HR. We'll pay you for that. We'll give you a fee that will increase if you can get us a certain numbers. And then we'll also buy weed from you because you are a weed vendor attached to our store. We'll buy weed from you. So we had a package deal to where we had all those things in that package. and We didn't give up no ownership. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I mean, you're essentially building out a team there with with partners. Exactly. Now, experience with doing that. Oh, I never had because all my business has been solely with me. So mm -hmm. I'm learning on the fly. I'm learning different people on the fly that I never met before. And things started coming up as a partnership, you know, went along that my previous partners weren't on the same page as me and were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. And they finally got, it came to a head. They got caught. Um, took a lot for me to force them out because of my operating agreement that I originally had with them. It looked good for me. And I read it looking good for me, but it also looked better for my previous partner. There was nothing I could do to force her out other than her just saying, I'm going to leave. So when the stuff hit the fan, she was like, oh, well, I'm not leaving. I was like, no, you got to leave or I'm going to, you know, do stuff to, you know, it got to that point. Like, you need to leave. Um, I ended up getting her to be able to sign off on everything, kept the name. She's trying to take her last name off. I'm like, dude, the name is a name. It's part of the brand. Barty killed us off, took a bunch of money from us, ran to open another dispenser in a whole nother area using Blunts and Moore's name to get that license after I stole a bunch of money from us. You need to go. Give me my rights, give me my store, go. And it worked out now I own my store 100%. Grizzly Peak is just my partner on the back end. But the store license is 100% mine. It worked out is what I said I have to say. But going into building that partnership, I didn't have time. And most of us don't. When we get that license, you get 90 days to come with a LOI. But as for those of listening, that's a letter of intent to be on a property or to collect the lease and be on a property that you're renting out to get your dispensary or your Grow lab or your manufacturing lab started, you don't have much time. So it's kind of hard to build out a team as soon as you get the license. It'd be, it would be behoove you to try to build, start. If you know you want to get a cannabis business, start building your team yesterday. You understand what I'm saying? Because trying to build it on the fly, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I'm, yeah. I can speak on it because I, I went through it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask about Oakland, uh, not only because that's where you are and that's where your roots are, but um, it's also an interesting cannabis market for the social equity reasons and also yep. just the fact that it's in California and there's, there's a lot of cannabis business going on there. I'm wondering back in 2018, did you feel like there was space for, for a dispensary like this, that it would last for four plus years at that point? When I came in, man, the sky was the limit. Mm -hmm. I was the first I'm doing it in my city. My city loves me. How do we do this? Let's make this a uh, historical site. Like I had the, the, the my dreams and, and was like, yes, we can do this. I'll be here forever. Um, after the stuff with my previous partner, it never changed how I felt because at the end of the day, I ended up still doing what I'm doing. But what changed my status on Oakland and the, uh, doing it in the cannabis industry now is California overall cannabis. Oakland has the highest tax just about anywhere in the country. Um, we get robbed all the time. Well, not anymore. But we get robbed all the time. No police protection. Uh, just, it was just a lot. So it made me like, I can go to New Jersey right now and open a store. You know what I mean? Like, why would I want to still deal with this in California? I'm getting overly um, taxed, overly regulated, and it makes it hard. But prior to dealing with, you know, learning about the 280E and all this, coming in, we got our license and open. Oh, yeah, we're going to be here forever. But the way California cannabis is set up right now, I have two more years tops 
If it doesn't change, I'm out of here. I literally open my doors every day. Eric, right now, I'm headed to the store now. Open my doors every day to pay taxes, pay my staff. If I don't make $5 million a year, I automatically have to pay $250,000 in taxes just for 280 but not making $5 million. A lot of people don't really understand what that means, but that basically means if I don't make $5 million, I'm 250000 in debt with the IRS every year I don't make $5 million. How do you survive like that? And we're not even counting paying your staff, paying your bills, buying product. This is just taxes alone. How do you survive? So, you know? Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's a, a really important point. That's that's why I wanted to ask about 2018, because, of course, there's a lot of optimism in the air and it's it's very exciting. And now here we are in 2022. You're about to speak to an audience out at Cannabis Conference about this topic. Um, you know, if you're talking to a young a young person who wants to get into into cannabis dispensaries uh, today in California, what kind of advice are you giving them? I know you've kind of talked about it already, but what should they be thinking about if, if they want to do that? Honestly and truthfully, so I teach for the Harrington Institute for Special Operations. My first homework assignment after three weeks is, how do you feel about owning a cannabis club now? Because I know how they feel coming in. Everyone thinks it's a cash cow. You can make money right away. It's good. It's good. It's not the truth. First of all, you have to have at least $3 million in liquid because you're going to at least run through $3 million and you're not going to make anywhere of that money for three to five years. So if you have $3 million to throw away, come on in. My advice right now, it's don't. It's plant touch. Not saying I want to be selfish and keep the industry to myself or the other people that's in it. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. But if you are going to do it in California, know what you're getting into. Three to five million out the door, three to five years without making any money. Unless you're making five million a year. And I can name dispensaries that I know personally. We're not making five million a year. The market's too hard to make five million a year right now when the plants is going for so cheap because they have so much grows and no shots to put them in. So though California market seems like, hey, let's get in it, you have to be real about it. If you are going to get in and be prepared not to make any money right away because it's set up for us not to make any money right away. And I know people want to get in it. And, hey, I want to be a, I want to sell. I want to sell. I want to sell. Think about ancillary ways to get in the, in the space because you don't have to pay those. Cash. 280E is real. I guarantee you, Eric, if you do a survey of anybody that says they want to get in the space. They have no clue what 280 is. 280 will change your whole outlook on wanting to get in the cannabis space legal unless you're prepared to deal with it. You know what I mean? So my advice right now is if you do want to get in, do your research, like really, really, really do your research on why you want to get in on that side and what money you plan to make and how soon you can make it and then go from there. If you think you can make your money right away, you got a good business plan in order, you can get to it, I'm all for it. But if you're going to get in here just to get in debt, it's not this, there's, no, there's no point in doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's real tricky. In in the legal market where you're participating, what are some of the products or product categories that are selling really well and bringing customers into the licensed dispensary rather than going elsewhere in, in the state? So for me, everything sells about equal. Like it's literally like if I, if you do top, um, I do topicals, edibles, and all that stuff in like one you know, category. You got flour, you got pre-rolls, you got vapes pretty much across the board it's pretty uniform on how they sell you may see an uptake depending on you know this and that depending on different events or whatever but overall you got the people who only want pre-rolls you got the people that only want flour you got the people that only want oil so it's about equal what people are how do i want to how do i want to pose this what the government hasn't realized and what people need to realize is the streets are not going people are always going to want to buy stuff from the streets that's just it's it's you can go as legal as you want. We can have the lowest taxes as you want, best environments, best this. 
certain people are just going to want to go to the streets. The government needs to realize that. That part of their problem, why things are like they are, their key things for doing this cannabis stuff was one, to make money, two, to eliminate the illicit market. Those are two things. You're not going to. That motto is why we're in the rut now. That's why we have a million cultivators, but no stores to sell it. So they're thinking they're doing right, but what do you do with all the slaughter that you can't sell in stores? Where does it go, Eric? Back to the streets. So now you've made the streets more prominent because they got all this cheap flour running around. So I mean, cheap product everywhere. Like I just looked at some great like dip. I'm talking about exceptional. Look like indoor, hundred and twenty five dollars a pound because they can't get rid of it. Wow. So what they've done effectively is made the illicit market more prevalent. You cannot focus on the illicit market, lawmakers. If your goal is to eliminate the illicit market, that needs to just go out the way. You're not going to eliminate that. There's always going to be a street market. Focus on making the legal market more better for the people that want to be in the legal market. That should be the goal. But their goal is to eliminate that. They're basically made another war on drugs. It's like war on drugs 2.0. And then for the social equity people who don't have the funding, who don't have the backing, it's like a war on drugs 3.0. Like it, it just is it's made it impossible to make money. And big farmers starting to see that now. You know what I'm saying? They see that they're not making as much money as they thought they were going to make because of the same things. So it's, yeah. it's like, you got to take out worrying about the streets. It's, they're not going anywhere. The streets are always going to be the streets. Yeah. You got dispensaries right now, back door to the streets right now because they're not making any money. You understand what I'm saying? Like you got growers right back to the streets because that's all they know and they can't make money legally. Where are they going to sell it? Yeah. I mean, it really you know? is. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of it, the, the problem just compounds as we go further along. Correct. Um, so in terms of the next six months to 12 months, um, what are you hoping to see? I mean, it seems like state legislators are kind of willing to talk about taxation. What would you like to see in the state to, to alleviate, um, again, just the retail side of the supply chain? Just us being in the room, man, like mm -hmm. literally, it's really that simple. Talk to us. Get us in the room. You can talk numbers. I can talk numbers, too. Just get us in the room and have a conversation with it because we're on the ground. We're listening to the customers. When last time Gavin Newsom been to a dispensary? You understand what I'm saying? Like, we, we're the one in there dealing with it, talking to the customers, giving the feedback. You're not, but you're constantly making the laws for it. The people you got on these boards ain't in dispensaries. They ain't, you know what I'm saying? So it's just talking to us. Hopefully, the next six months to a year, we have more open conversations about what's really going on, and we really get them to understand that less is more. If you lower that tax, California will make way more money than they're making now. But they don't they don't see it because all they can see is, well, we've made this much. But everything that's been going on, and you can clearly see from the from us on the on the inside, we're saying it's not working. Why not try something else? If we're telling you it's not working, it's been going on four years, four, six years, depending on 2016, depending on when you say it started, and nothing's working and everyone's complaining. You would think that the government would be like, well, maybe we should try something else. It, it, it does not hurt to try. So I'm hoping in the next six to 12 months they try something else. Because we're going to die. Like, there's no, like, I once and more will close. If I'm still dealing with this another two years, I'm out of here. And then it's so messed up, my license is stuck in Oakland. So now I got to try to sell my license. It's not making any money. Who's going to buy? Who wants to buy a non-profitable business? So I'm really, really stuck. Hopefully, I got to open up in other states. You know, using my trademark, selling my license in other states because of California, I'll be closed in two years if it continues like this. And I, I hate to say that, but that's just really where we are right now. Yeah, and the clock is ticking. And I think, you know, out of Cannabis Conference, it's going to be a, a pretty um, 
uh, sobering kind of conversation for a lot of folks who, who are looking at the business or trying to get into the dispensary space. Um, what are some things that you're hoping people take back from the show after they hear you and the other panelists yep. talking about dispensaries? What are you hoping they, they go home with? I really hope they, uh, they have an understanding of what's really going on, not what you think is going on. You know what I'm saying? People see cookies, love, burn and death. We talk all the time, but people see cookies and think, oh, I can be cookies. Everyone can't be cookies and just be quite frankly, cookies is going through stuff, too. They're not a, they're not. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're not avoiding the problems that we're going through. They're having the same issue. The only thing is they have multiple outlets so they can consistently move money around. We don't have that. Mama pops don't have that. Big Pharma can do that. But I hope that they take from this just real honesty about what's going on, because I heard a lot of people in this space tell lies about what's going on and sell dreams. I'm not going to do that. I want us to really have all the knowledge and the tools that we need to navigate in this space. And if that means exposing or or pulling back the curtain and say, hey, no, this is what's going on. I've been in business four years. and have not made a profit at all. And this is why they need to know that. So I hope they just take back knowledge and, you know, really think about what they really want to do in the space. And even if that is still a dispensary, just make sure, you know, you got all the tools you need. You know what I mean? Because right now it's a lot of people pushing out, quite frankly, bullshit on what's going on in this space. And it's not true. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to, to hanging with you in, in Vegas at Cannabis Conference, learning from you and, and hearing more about what you have to say at this panel, because I think it's an important topic. And, and the dispensary space really has changed quite rapidly over the last few years. So this oh. is going to be good. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. Well, thanks so much, Tucky, uh, for this conversation. And again, looking forward to, to Las Vegas in August. And we'll see you there. Yeah. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate your time as well. And that's a wrap on another episode of Beyond the Show. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tucky Blunt out at Oakland, California. I know I did. It's great chatting with him, and I'm really looking forward to hearing from him and many other speakers out at Cannabis Conference 2022. As I mentioned at the top of the episode and pretty much every episode of Beyond the Show, you can learn more about the conference over at CannabisConference.com. Again, it's going to be August 23rd to the 25th out at the Paris, Las Vegas. You're not going to want to miss this one, folks. Every year, it gets bigger and better. I've seen it. It's awesome. It's going to be great in 2022. And you can check out the full list of educational sessions, the growing list of speakers, the full Cannabis Conference 2022 advisory board, and much more over at CannabisConference.com. I don't mean to belabor the point. Go ahead and just subscribe to the newsletter, and you'll get all the info right in your inbox as we develop and expand the show this year. And of course beyond going into next year going into future years this industry is not going anywhere it's just getting bigger and better and we're here to track that narrative in the pages of cannabis business times and in person at las vegas at cannabis conference 2022 it's mid-july i'm back from a little bit of a break we're about what is it six weeks from cannabis conference so we have a lot of interviews to get through a lot of speakers to talk to before the show plenty of speakers to talk to at the show and many more to speak to beyond the show 